Artists provide us with different ways of seeing the world and our history, and a new book gives us new insights into our colonial history. Dr Fiona Foley is an internationally renowned visual artist who recently had a 25-year photographic retrospective titled Who Are These Strangers and Where Are They Going? She is currently a lecturer at the Queensland College of Art at Griffith University and has just released a new book, Biting the Clouds, A Butchula Perspective on the Aboriginal's Protection and Restriction of the Sale of Opium Act, 1897. Fiona, welcome back to Speaking Out and congratulations on the book. Thanks, Larissa. Always good to be on your radio program. Now, uh, the book's genesis is that it came from work you did around your PhD. Why did you decide, as somebody who's already got a very successful career as a visual artist, to go down that PhD pathway? I think I was inspired by a colleague um, back in 2014 and I 2015 was a bit of a crossroads for me and I thought why not try and upskill and go into academia because you know the arts world had been hit by the um, global financial crisis. I just thought it would be a huge challenge to myself to undertake a PhD and during three years of doing that it was a level of thinking that I hadn't engaged with before as an artist. So it really helped consolidate ideas that I had existing in relation to that historical policy in Queensland. But to write about it was a really different scenario that I'd ever encountered before. It's really interesting to hear you say that because I think one of the reasons I've always been drawn to your work is that it, it feels like it's incredibly powerful intellectually and here you are taking time out to sort of even think more deeply about some of those things. I mentioned the book as a translation of your PhD, but it does really, that sort of sells it short. Um, the book is, reads much more like a personal essay. There's no feel of a thesis about it and, of course, engages with your broad range of artwork. What was the process like for you of translating what was that really academic process into a book that's really accessible for a general audience? It was uh, at the time I was living in Lismore, so sometimes I describe it as a Lismore fog. The first two years, was uh, I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing, but it all consolidated in the third year when I actually started to um, work out what was going into each chapter. So there's six chapters in the, in the book. And I wanted to talk about state and church through two principal people uh, who were in those uh, fields, uh, Archibald Meston, the first protector of Aborigines, and the other key figure was Ernest Gribble, who was a Anglican minister who set up the first mission at Begimba Creek. And I just tried to imagine life through the way that they were thinking about how they were going to solve the Aboriginal problem, which was at the time opium addiction, and wean people off that addiction. So I started to look into their lives much more um, closely and try and understand where they were coming from. And then also talking about my own work in relation to that and how there is still a silencing that goes on in this country. And that's seen in our curriculum. And earlier this year, I was watching the drum and Aileen Morton Robinson stated on that, that there are no 
critical race studies in this country, and I just find that astounding that we still are grappling with race politics in this country. We still can't get to the basis of truth-telling. So every time I speak about opium in the state of Queensland, I'm speaking to people who have no knowledge of this history. And since the book's come out just only recently, I'm finding that more and more people are discovering this for the first time. So I just think it's really important to talk about this hidden history that affected so many people's lives in Queensland. Obviously, you'd been aware of that to start to uncover those histories. As you pulled the layers off and went into your research and have now transformed that into a book, what were the things about the operation of that Aboriginals Protection and Restriction of the Sale of Opium Act that surprised you the most? Well, one of the surprises was that Archibald Meston was heavily influenced by eugenics theories coming out of London. And so he brought those ideas across to Queensland and wanted to isolate Aboriginal people. But one of the more interesting aspects of this legislation was that it was amended in 1901 and there were new laws introduced to outlaw Chinese and Aboriginal people marrying and having children. And that was because Europeans and Queensland were afraid of an alliance between Chinese and Aboriginals and uprising against white patriarchal society in, in the state. And I just thought this is how fearful they were of Aboriginals and Chinese coming together. They wanted to racially always have the upper hand. So I think for me that was interesting that they legally stamped out intermarriage between these two races. There's a lovely theme of clouds throughout it and not surprising as a visual artist, you have a very strong visual motif through your writing. And the title itself is a reference to taking opium and there's a chapter titled Out of the Sea Like Cloud that has a very special cultural meaning for you. Can you tell us about that motif? Yeah, well, it was a play on words. And when I first um, understood there was a euphemism for being, let's just say, high on opium, which is biting the clouds, I just thought I could run with that. The uh, Bachelor people had a song that has been handed down for 250 years when they saw Lieutenant Cook sail past on the endeavour with Sir Joseph Banks. And the first line in that song is out of the sea like cloud and they were talking about the sails of the endeavour. So there were all these beautiful poetic correlations related to clouds and then I went searching a little bit and magically they would just appear. So each chapter has a reference to clouds and I thought this is a beautiful way to tie this all together through through that imagery of clouds. And of course on the cover we have two motifs. One is the opium poppy that is growing in Australia at the current time for pharmaceutical company, but also in the also in the sky there's beautiful billowing grey clouds and I just thought that has to go on the on the um, cover of the book. That was an image I took when I was in Tasmania making a film. So yeah it all tied together really succinctly I think. 
Throughout the book, of course, what's really clear is your sense of your identity, the obligation you feel as a traditional owner of your country and your embrace of the regeneration of your language. I wonder if you could share your thoughts on what that regeneration of your language has meant to you, because, of course, your mother played a big part in that as well. Yeah, she spent 20 years researching bachelor language from a lot of different archives and collated a bachelor dictionary, we refer to it, in 1996. And then she did a publication in 1997 and that publication sold out. So we weren't able to, um, you know, easily access that. Uh, the broader community wasn't able to easily access that for 23 years. So really my sister, Melissa Foley, instigated um, the republication of that dictionary in uh, the International Year of Indigenous Languages in 2019, last year. And so that publication also underpinned the film that I made last year and was able to bring on Taylor Watson, who used the dictionary to create a new song version in our bachelor language of that encounter with uh, the Endeavour in 1770. So it's played a major role, like Mum's work underpinned my work last year through making that film. And I just think it's such an important resource if we can tap into that a lot more. And I know National Parks and Wildlife on Fraser Island are keen to implement, you know, bachelor language words for our place names like Takiwuru at Indian Head. So that's an ongoing process for us and the Bachelor Aboriginal Corporation to reintroduce those names back into the landscape and it you know it's it's never ending really i mentioned and it's clear in how you speak that you do take your responsibilities as a traditional owner of your country you know very seriously and really engaged with your traditional lands and that responsibility i was wondering what your reflections are we've seen so many examples recently of the fragility of heritage protection for our mob Uh, caves being destroyed sacred trees being destroyed from your perspective what are your thoughts on on how we should be um, perhaps being more proactive about the protection of that really special culture well For us on Fraser Island or Gari, um, you know, one of those things uh, that's uh, really hard for us as a people is seeing the um, killing of our dingoes on the island. And so for us, it's sometimes a living animal species, the destruction of their, you know, habitat in a way because they've been taught by tourists to come and beg for food and I think that's very difficult for us that habitation of those animals as an apex predator where they've been um, too familiar with tourists and it's been to their detriment so we grieve the loss of those animals on a regular basis when they're put down by national parks and wildlife and so I think there are so many facets to Aboriginal culture where it's really impacted us psychologically and emotionally as a people when we face destruction of, you know, either our sacred sites, our um, beautiful old trees or, you know, live living species today. And I just think it's a perpetual combat that we go through as 
a colonised people with the coloniser and the con- this conversation is ongoing and never-ending and it does weigh heavily on all of us. And when we lose uh, beautiful aspects of our culture in, a, you know, in our symbi- symbiotic relationship with, with, these, with this environment, I just think that it impacts all Australians, really. But it has to be taken up. You know, this also voice has to be given by non-Indigenous Australians who have similar concerns. It can't. This cannot just weigh heavily on Aboriginal nations. Your book is a strong critique of race relations in Australia, and your your body of artwork has really engaged with those ideas and on the aspects of human rights and. Um, self-determination. I was wondering what the Black Lives Matter movement and the moment we've seen now that it's really put a spotlight on issues in Australia has meant to you? Oh, it's meant a great deal to me. And I just think that in the Indigenous scholarship, women really are at the forefront in, from my perspective. And There are so many interesting voices I'd like to hear. And so I've been proposing a project um, at Griffith University this year called Reason and Reckoning New Aboriginal Scholarship in the Creative Arts and Writing. And underpinning that project title really is the Black Lives Matters movement and also Aboriginal deaths in custody in Australia. So the project is underpinned by... Black Lives Matters and Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. And what I'm finding is that I would really like to open up a space in the academy where we can have deep and meaningful conversations with people who are across uh, this as a, as a politics, as uh, race politics. And I just think it's really important to have these conversations right across the country within higher education and opening up that space where we can have these uh, various voices and concerns brought to the fore. Just finally tonight, COVID-19 has challenged us all in how we engage with each other and how we work. What have you learned about yourself during this extraordinary time? As an artist, I'm quite used to working in you know, isolation because you're, when you're freelancing, you're mostly working from home. So it hasn't been really disruptive to the to the way that I work. It's been truly really encouraged me to um, you know hunker down and do some of the best work that I've ever done. And lucky for us, congratulations again on the book, and thank you so much for dropping by speaking out this evening. Thanks, Larissa. Always good to talk. Dr Fiona Foley is a bachelor woman, a visual artist and is a lecturer at the Queensland College of Art at Griffith University. Her new book, Biting the Clouds, is being launched next week and is available through the University of Queensland Press.